Thank you, Steve. We need to start paying that guy, don't we? <laughs> oh, I'm going to begin with a story, so just uh, use your imaginations here with this. Derek Redmond, <clears throat> some of you might rem- remember him, was a young British runner who skyrocketed to fame by shattering his country's 400-meter record at age 19. But then, an Achilles tendon injury forced him to withdraw from the 1988 Olympic Games in Seoul, and he endured five separate surgeries. When the Summer Olympics arrived in Barcelona in 1992, Derek Redmond was absolutely aching for a medal. On the day of the semifinal races for the 400 meters race, 65,000 fans streamed into the stadium. High in the stands was Derek's father, Jim a faithful witness to every one of his son's world competitions. The race began. Derek broke through the pack to seize the lead. Heading down the backstretch, only 175 meters from the finish line, Derek seemed a shoe-in to win this heat and qualify for the Olympic finals. But then Derek heard a pop. It was his right hamstring. He pulled up lame, looking as if he had been shot, his leg quivering. Derek began to hop on the other leg, He got slower and finally fell to the track. Medical personnel ran toward him as he sprawled on the ground, holding his right hamstring. At the same moment, there was a stir at the top of the stands. Jim Redmond, seeing his son in trouble, was desperately working his way down toward the track, sidestepping some people and bumping into others. He had no Olympic credentials. He is not supposed to be on the track, but all he could think about was getting to his son to help him up. He was not going to be stopped by anyone. On the track, Derek realized that his dream of of an Olympic medal was gone. He was alone. The other runners streaked across the finish line. He was orphaned, as it were, a lonely figure on the track, friendless, parentless, and alone. Tears poured down Derek's face. And all he could think of was, I don't want to take a DNF. A DNF is runner's jargon for did not finish. Derek could not stand the thought of having DNF written beside his name at the Olympics. When the medical crew arrived with a stretcher, Derek told them, I am not getting on that stretcher. I am going to finish my race. And so he lifted himself to his feet ever so slowly and carefully, and he started hobbling down the track. Gradually, the crowd realized that Derek was not dropping out of the race, but was actually continuing on one leg. In a fiercely determined effort to make it to the finish line, one painful step at a time, Derek limped onward. At that moment, Jim Redman reached the bottom of the stands, vaulted over the railing, dodged a security guard, and ran to his son, with two security people running after him. That's my son out there, he yelled back at his pursuers, and I'm going to help him. Jim reached his son at the final curve about 120 meters from the finish line. He wrapped his arm around Derek's waist. I'm here, son, Jim said, hugging his boy. We'll finish together. Derek put his arms around his father's shoulders and sobbed. Together, arm in arm, father and son struggled toward the finish line with 65,000 people cheering, clapping, and crying. Just a few steps from the end, with the crowd in absolute frenzy, Jim released the grip he had on his son so that Derek could cross the finish line by himself. I'm the proudest father alive, Jim Redman 
told the press afterward with tears in his eyes. I'm prouder of him than I would have been if he had won the gold medal. Together, they kept a promise they had made to finish the race no matter what. I remember that. Does anybody else? It was amazing. This father, Jim Redmond, is a picture today of God, our perfect father. And our message today is that the orphan, God's heart, will not be stopped. Last week was Veterans Day weekend, and it was also Global Orphan Sunday. Yes, those two conflict. Uh, Many churches want to celebrate or honor both because both are important to God. And so a lot of churches just move Orphan Sunday one week later, which is today. And that's exactly what we're doing. We are honoring Global Orphan Sunday today. Church, I want to say at the outset that 2020, this year, has been a roller coaster, hasn't it? How many are motion sick? (laughs) How many have thrown up on themselves already? (laughs) All right. It doesn't look like 2021 is going to be much smoother either. So hold on. We're in for another another ticket on this ride. So listen, like Derek's father, Jim, tore down every obstacle that was on his way to do what he needed to do. I mean, he tore down the stands over the wall, past security guards. We need to do the same, Christ followers. We have Jesus Christ to follow, no matter what the obstacles are that we have to face in our lives. We need to tear down over media manipulation and fear-mongering and tyrannical governments, and we need to tear down over lockdowns and racial and political divisions and social distancing and killer viruses themselves to do the work that God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. This is how the church has been historically over the last 2,000 years at its finest. It is reckless in its love. I want to be careful with that. But it is passionate about love and will tear down any barrier that it needs to obey God and to serve the world as Jesus demands us. Let me look at scripture here with you. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. God's heart will not be stopped. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. This is our charge. So look at that last statement, especially right now as we continue. We need to help the church first. This is our family. This is our first people to care about and to lift up. So what I'm going to say today is in no way to diminish the work that we've called each other to do for each other. And all the service that you're doing for this church and that we need to continue to ask people to step up and serve in various things. But as that ministry of a church grows and produces fruit, it's that fruit that this world so badly needs. And that we have been given a mission by our Savior and Lord and friend Jesus to take out into the world that fruit of of a healthy church, of a healthy church family that we are. God's heart will not be stopped in this world. 
As we open scripture, we find more than 2,000 verses, 2,000 verses about the vulnerable, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the prisoner, the alien, the lonely. And we are going to use this God-ordained opportunity on this Orphan Sunday to align our hearts with God's heart today. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look through Scripture, not all 2,000 verses. We don't have time for that, but many. And we're going to go right on through the sections of the Bible. And if you have your sermon notes, and if, if you go ahead and pull those out and you'll see. If you don't have your sermon notes, I see Chris, he's ready to pass them out. Would you just raise your hand if you'd like a copy, which will help you follow along today. Just go ahead and raise your hand and Chris will meet you. Thanks, Chris. Under notes, you'll see where we're going to begin is with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we don't live under the Old Testament anymore. It was a theocracy. It was the God's chosen people was the nation of Israel. We know that. So what good is the Old Testament? Oh, it's, it's a lot of good. Uh, it teaches us God's law, uh, all the foundation of our faith, everything that Jesus fulfilled. And it teaches us what we're going to focus on today is God's character. The Old Testament reveals God's character. And we need to know the God that gave us life and that we worship. And we need to align our character with his. And so we need to know God's character. The Pentateuch is on your notes. That's the first section of the Bible. That means five books. It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the first five books, the first collection of books in the Bible. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is all about the origins of the universe and the human race. Then you get it to Genesis 12, and Genesis 12 through the rest of the five books, Deuteronomy, is all about the origins and development of God's covenant people, the nation of Israel. Now, permanently woven into all the language of God's covenant with his people in all the Pentateuch is God's character, his concern for the poor and the vulnerable. So we're going to start with just looking at a couple sections from there. In Exodus 22, 21 through 24, the widow, orphan, and poor fall under the protection of God himself. These verses say, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Is God serious? Yes, he is. Throughout the rest of the books and and into Deuteronomy, God's heart for these is stated in regard to Feasts and religious life and social life and social well-being. The, one example is the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy 16, 11 through 14, hear God's law in regards to the feasts. You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. This is one of my favorite feasts. I wish we could do that. A seven days camping trip with all your friends. I mean, uh, we are going to try to do that next summer, but... Uh, Okay, so here's the Feast of Booths, a lot of fun. Listen, verse 14, you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, 
and the widow who are within your towns. You shall rejoice in your feasts. All of that. All of them. They must enter the joy of God's festal system. Built right into his covenant with his people. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22, God's heart in the law is to care for their physical needs as well. This is the passage that Steve just read. I'll read it again. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It will be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. You take care of the poor, the orphan, the widow. God's going to bless you. When you beat down your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. What's left will be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this. You take any asset that you have and leave room for it to care for the vulnerable and the poor and the needy people in this world who have nobody else caring for them. That's God's character, and he will bless you. Let's move forward into the poetical books. We're journeying through Scripture here. In Psalm 68, David praises God as the God of triumph because of his character, calling God in verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Fatherless children out there, who can hear me or hear any of us as we proclaim this message? You have a dad, and he's a perfect dad, our Heavenly Father. Let's move on to the prophets. The prophets never tire of pleading the orphan's cause. Now, who are the prophets? The prophets were God's mouthpieces to the world before. The word of God, his inspired word of God, was completed. The prophets proclaimed God's word, and they gave praises, and they gave words of guidance and wisdom, and they gave messages of God's love and concern, and they gave us lots of warnings of judgment for sin. Repeatedly, they point out that Israel's sin can be seen and manifest itself in the way that they mistreat the poor and the widow and the orphan. And Zechariah 7, 8 through 14 is just one of many scriptures that calls this bad behavior, this manifestation of our, the sin of our hearts out. Israel herself was thus to become widowed because of this sin. Hear this word from the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they may not hear. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts, and I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known." This is a call to us, too, that we should not turn a stubborn shoulder and stop our ears, that we will not hear the need of the helpless and oppressed. And now the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. This theme appears again 
pointing, okay, again, we're in the last book of the Old Testament now, Malachi, 400 years before the New Testament starts, before Jesus comes. And Malachi himself points to the coming ministry of the forerunner to the Messiah and to the Messiah himself. Who is the forerunner to the Messiah? Somebody yell it out. John the Baptist. We call him the Baptist. John was his name. John the Baptist. Who is the Messiah? Jesus. That's right. So Malachi is pointing out the ministry of these two men, and he says this. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. A prophecy regarding John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry. It is not surprising then that in the New Testament, the church age, the age of grace, that's the age we live in right now, that the cause of the poor, the widow, the orphan is championed by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose character was defined throughout the Old Testament, our Savior, our Lord, and the one whom we follow as his people. Not surprising that this would be a cause on his heart as well. In the New Testament, we see instructions to the church, which is God's family and his answer in the world. Is the church important to God? More than we can ever imagine. It is his answer. It is his plan A in the world, and there is no plan B. That is what we get to be a part of. And we have to be a good part of that. So let's see what Jesus says to his church. In Matthew 25, as Jesus was teaching about the final judgment, okay, take your minds to Matthew 25 now. You know this teaching. First, he's going to separate the sheeps and the goats. The sheep are those who believe in Jesus and inherit the kingdom and inherit eternal life. And the goats are those who do not believe in Jesus, who reject Jesus the gospel of Jesus, and are condemned to eternity in hell. And Jesus is separating these at the final judgment. He gives us a picture of this. And to the sheep, those who believe him, who will inherit the kingdom of God, he says, they are known to the Father by their actions. Matthew 25, 35 to 40. Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
You did it to me. Let me explain something. The enemy hates the orphan and the vulnerable so much because that's who Jesus identifies with the most. And then in verse 41, Jesus says to those who do not care about the vulnerable, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Is Jesus serious about God's character that was revealed in the Old Testament? Yes. You better believe it. And so if the orphan and the widow and the poor and the disenfranchised, marginalized, prisoner, stranger, suffering, depressed, anxious, lonely, needy, are not in our hearts and not in our agendas as a priority in our lives, then we need to repent. Like it's, not, it's not that we don't do a lot of good things. We do. But we need to give priority to the people and the situations that God places priority on his heart. Do we understand this? And those hurting the most are little children. Jesus says, let them come to me. Let them come to me. They can't do it on their own. They need help. James 1.27 is one of the most well-known verses on this topic. It gives a declaration statement of God's heart, our topic today. James 1.27, a great verse to memorize. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two marks are given here of a true follower of Christ, a faithful one who's obedient, who's been redeemed, who's following Christ. Two marks. Care for widows and orphans, and that's a representative of all the vulnerable. Care for the vulnerable and to live a holy life. In other words, private purity and public charity. That's it. That's the mark of who God wants us to be, of who God saved us to be, of a follower of Jesus Christ. Private purity and public charity, do those define your life? You can just ask that before God in your own heart. Let's ask why. What is the reason that the helpless and the hurting means so much to God and so much to us? Why does this mean so much? And well, first, I probably don't have to convince you that the plight of helpless, suffering people would be important to a righteous king, right? I mean, that makes sense. I don't have to convince you of that. But there's a deeper reason as well. And the deeper reason is that we are all helpless and lost and slaves to our sin, and dead, 
and condemned in our sin and hopeless under the just judgment of God without Christ. Amen. Amen. But for his grace, that is all of us. Now listen to this and see what he's doing in his heart. Bask with me in these great words of Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons By whom we cry, Abba, Father, that's Dad, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We're going to sing that in a little bit. And that's going to be sweet. But let's just think about this. As children of God and fellow heirs of God's kingdom with Christ, God has poured out his love and his grace on us, not by anything that we've done to deserve it, but by his grace. As with the orphan, all mankind outside of Jesus Christ has no inheritance, no living relationship with the eternal God the Father, no salvation without Christ. But Christ's redemptive work on the cross has offered all of that to everyone who will receive him. We are adopted. Those of us who are Christians We're all adopted. Never to be cut off again, as Jesus said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. We are living pictures of why the orphan matters so much to God. Let me say that again. We are living pictures of why the orphan means so much to God. So remember, brothers and sisters, that there's a lost and dying world around us who just hasn't heard of the gospel of Jesus or hasn't crossed that line to receive him yet, remains spiritually orphaned and enslaved and under God's righteous judgment. And Jesus has made provision for them too. He died on the cross, that's his provision, and he sent them us. As his ambassadors, we are his representatives, we are his witnesses. And we need to, that is our mission, and we need to take that mission seriously. And we do. We do here at Community Grace. And because of that, because of that, because we take that mission seriously, I have some next steps to take. And you see on your notes, you see two categories of next steps this time. We're going to divide these into two different categories. Next steps of the heart is first. Next steps of the heart. I'll get to actions in a minute, but let's address our hearts at this point. There are 140 million orphans in the world. Would you just meditate on that with me right now? 140 million kids that don't have a mom and dad. How about in America? 
I've heard several times these numbers. Pay attention to these numbers. There are about 400,000 orphans in America, in the, kids in the foster system, 400,000. There's about 120,000 of those who are ready for adoption right now. They're up for adoption right now, 120,000 right now, waiting to be adopted. There are 300,000 churches in America, 300,000 churches in America, 120,000 orphans that are ready for adoption right now. So, looking at those numbers, if just one family from one out of every three churches adopts one of those foster kids, the foster system would be cleared out. What a testimony that would be of Christ into this world. So, if this is so important to God and, and to our calling as a church, why do orphans still suffer? And, and certainly the enemy has caused massive chaos and destruction, and that's the way he likes it. Demonic forces are having their tyranny over the world, and these are some of the damaging effects of that. And we can say, isn't that awful how the enemies out there are so powerful? But I want to bring this home and talk about the enemies in here. And you see on your notes, three enemies. These are internal enemies inside of each and every one of us because we're humans, This isn't a condemnation of anyone because of this. This is an awareness, a call to get those out of ourselves. Let's look inside of ourselves right now. These are subtle enemies that are within us, and that's fine, but I'm going to expose them right now so that we can address those. As Christ followers, we must overcome the enemies that are in our hearts right now. So these three, I encourage you to to expose them in your hearts if they're there. Number one is the enemy of personal, willful Ignorance. There is ignorance, but there's a lot of information out there. You know, you might say, I don't want to hear about this crisis. Don't tell me the statistics. It's too heavy for me. I've got work to do, and I've got games to play. I just want to be ignorant about this. Yes, I want to be like the ostrich with his head stuck in the sand. Life just seems a lot easier that way. This is a heavy burden. Let me just tell you about taking on the burden. It's not. The burden of the entire world is not ours to bear. That's God's. Ours is only to bear what he might be calling you to do in response, and that's it. No need to be ignorant anymore about this. Ignorance costs lives. Look at the Holocaust. In World War II, six million Jews were slaughtered at the hands of the Nazis. And you know what? There's a lot of literature that's come out since then from churches and Christians who admit that at that time they chose to look away. It didn't happen overnight. It was insidious and it grew, but they admit we chose to look away and ignorance cost lives. And there have been many injustices other than that since then, and there are many today in our world right now. Are, Are we looking away? Are we choosing to bury our heads? That's my question. We can't do that as Christ followers. We just can't. We've got to get in there and care for the least of these around us and for the injustice of the world. The second enemy is the enemy of isolation. During the 1930s, America had a policy of isolationism. Okay, we're not going to be concerned with other nations. That was Americans, uh, America's posture in the world. And that worked well until December 7, 1941, the infamous day when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. All of a sudden, the world's conflicts hit home. It became personal. And we changed our entire posture as a nation from isolationism to engagement. And let me just say, God is telling you this situation that I'm bringing before you today has hit home. It is personal. 
It's personal to me. And so, brothers and sisters, God is trying to convince us today this is personal, and Jesus' church can end the orphan crisis if all of us do our part, and we're only called to do our own. If we end this enemy and engage in the world. Then there's third, the enemy of insulation. This is a close brother to isolation, but insulation is taking the cozy blanket of life and wrapping it around ourselves. Now, here's the tricky thing. This is part of the American dream to rise to the top and throw the blanket over ourselves and not have to worry and stay safe and clean. And that's a, that's a value of our nation. This is part of the American dream that is damnable. Let me ask you, why is treasuring our personal comfort? Treasuring our personal comfort. Why is that an enemy to the orphan? Because reaching orphans is uncomfortable. And that's exactly what Jesus means when he tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. So Christ followers, let's jump into the discomfort. And God promises to meet us there and to share his glory with us when we do. Amen? All right, so we jump into that discomfort. Those are the three enemies that I I am searching my own heart, trust me. And I ask you to do the same. Now, let's talk about next steps of the hands. What can we do? What can we do? Let's educate ourselves about what we can do. And then each listen to the Holy Spirit to see how he might have you respond right now in this world that he's created you for. We'll start first with orphans, fostering and adoption. And we have several families in this church who foster and have adopted, and I praise God for that. And that's, that's a sweet part of the nature of this church. For this year, uh, for Orphan Sunday, I went to the family of one of our elders and longtime members here at Community Grace and interviewed them, Rick and Jamie DeBoost. And here's a family picture of the DeBoost family. So I'm going to tell you a little, I'm going to report a little bit about from the uh, interview that I had with them. And this is so good. So I'm excited to read this to you. Rick is a counselor. Jamie is a stay-at-home mom slash foster mom. Rick and Jamie both grew up in adoptive families themselves and knew that they wanted to adopt from their very first date. That is cool. Uh, The radical calling God ultimately laid on their hearts was a decision, once they were married, to only grow their family through adoption. That was their choice. They adopted Erica first from Vietnam. And while there, in the process of adopting Erica, in an amazing story, they met a baby boy who became their second. His name was Donovan. A few years later, they began to process the process to adopt Melissa. And while in that process, God said, surprise, and Jamie got pregnant. And Melissa and Megan are only six and a half months apart. Wow, that's such a great story. I'm so glad that I learned this and was given the permission to share that. Well, after these adoptions and birth, Their quiver seemed full, but the burden was far from over. 
But they resisted fostering for a while because they knew that the pain of the children leaving their home would be so great. But then God spoke to them and said, it's not about you. And so they entered the world of fostering and have subsequently fostered close to 20 kids since then and still going. And they've realized that one of their primary ministries has become ministering to the families of the kids. There's so much more behind these stories. Fostering, they say, is tough. It's a big challenge and a high calling, and that's what following Christ is. What else did I glean from my time with the DeBoosts? Lots. Here's just a little bit more. Adoption has brought them to know and understand God at a different level, giving glimpses into his heart, how God views all of us. God gives you a deeper dependency when you adopt and foster, since you can't fix some of the struggles. Uh, God gives you what you need. They've learned this. They've learned different cultures. They have seen recovery of great losses. These are great gifts to the obedient Christ follower. They agree that adoption may not be for everyone, but no one is excluded from being involved. And listen, the things that we can all do are a tremendous blessing to the people who are called to adopt or foster. Things that we can all do, such as praying, dropping off meals, groceries, diapers to adoptive families, babysitting so they can get a break, These not only help for that moment, but they make them feel like we're all in this together, which we are and must be. You see how important those things are that we can all do. They said children need a strong foundation, and Jesus' church offers that. So just being a healthy church is something we can do for the plight of the orphan, and if we actually are a healthy church. So what can and will we do at Community Grace? Well, I'm happy to announce that Rick and Jamie also have offered to take this ministry, which they've already been doing for a long time. They've they've been a go-to source for all kinds of support and information uh, for people pursuing these kind of things, and we're going to make it formal. They have have given counsel. Okay. What we're going to do is we're just going to simply take what they're already doing and make it uh, formally known as a resource for the church and our community, and call it the Father's Heart Ministry. That's our working title anyway right now. Uh, That's where we left it off. We're talking about God's heart here. What we have to offer, if God is stirring in you to pursue this, if you want to be on board with this work, or maybe you want to bring uh, kids into your home, this will provide some seed money for people starting the fostering or adoptive process, and we can give to this fund To help fundraising beyond that, it's expensive but not insurmountable. To answer initial questions about the laborious process of going through all the the steps and hoops you have to jump through. Post-adoptive counseling. Partnership with other ministries like getting finances in order with Financial Peace University that we're going to launch again in the new year. Or help with tax issues. Or help with training our children's ministry staff on trauma and special needs to help equip our small groups to give love and support for families that are out there doing this because that's what small groups do. We bear each other's burdens. 
And we will also partner with other ministries in our community since we do not need to recreate what already exists in our greater community. Let me just give you a quick run through of what exists that we're partnering with. WLGBC has a foster care closet that provides all things kid-related to equip any foster parent in Kosciuszko County with tangible items. It's open once a month, and they take donations all the time. So we have that. We have Pleasant View Bible Church does foster care licensure training that's held there on a regular basis, so we know where to go for that. Mission Point and Warsaw Community Church provide the continuing education hours that foster parents need to stay licensed, so we know where to go for that. Heartline Pregnancy Center also provides lots of support for vulnerable children and mothers and fathers in our community, and so we partner with them as well. Thank you, Rick and Jamie, and anybody who might respond and support in any way, um, giving or receiving their support, however God calls you to do, to, to respond today. There's one more area that, that I want to address, and that's in addition to these formal things, we all also need to have a Christ-likeness in our attitudes, in our attitudes as Christ followers. And I was given permission to share one more story, this one from Donna Corp. And it's a poignant example of the kind of attitude that we need to have as we follow Christ. Now, if you know Andy and Donna, they have a, a special needs daughter, Renee, who's a loved and valuable and cherished part, an enjoyable part of this church family. She has been for 30 years. So Donna tells a story that's a wake-up call, honestly. She was in Walmart one time with Renee, and Renee had a seizure, which she does sometimes. And they were sitting on the floor in the middle of one of the aisles at Walmart. And people were walking by and taking a quick glance and continuing to walk. And that's, you know, sad and hurtful. But what really got hurtful was when one of the men that walked by was from her church. And, you know, he's not a part of this church. I don't know who it is. But that could be all of us. And there's no doubt something heavy could have been on his mind and, and is on our minds sometimes. But here's the attitude of Christ. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? I mean, here's what Christ does. He, have we just learned this? He, he runs to the vulnerable and the needy. doesn't just ignore them. And our calling, brothers and sisters, is never to do that again. Because I'm pretty sure we've all done it. I know I have. We've got a lot of things on our minds. Where are our priorities? Run to the people who need help. That's who God saved us to be. So our attitude is Christ's followers. And I just want to spend one more minute concluding with the widow, the captive, and the prisoner here in our next steps with our hands. Things that we can do. First, the widow. God's heart for the widow also shall not be stopped. A community grace. Here's how we care for our widows. In my last 15 years of ministry, I worked closely and dearly with a seniors pastor for my last 15 years of ministry before coming here. His name is Pastor Rich. Love that, brother. And Pastor Rich continually exhorted us that here's what happens when somebody becomes widowed. 
They become single all of a sudden, and there's just this phenomenon that happens where all the couples and the families just stop inviting the widows over for dinner or to their social parties or or trips or whatever. It just happens. They're kind of forgotten about. And he exhorted us, please, never do that. Invite them. Visit them. This is the heart of God. And we were better as a church because of his constant exhortations to do that. The captive, human trafficking, (laughs) something else that this wild year of 2020 has, (sighs) has done is it's been bringing this topic to the surface, and that's a good thing. God is doing something here with this massive problem. It's exposing, bringing to prominence human trafficking and pedophilia. Listen to this. Human sex trafficking is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. It's very lucrative for the people involved in it. It's hard to stop. And it's being propelled by very powerful elites that's coming out. And it's also being propelled by our on-demand sexualized culture. There's a hunger for this. It's a far bigger business than drugs. There are 40 million trafficked slaves in the world over one million slaves in America. One million slaves in America today. Victims include both girls and boys, many of which are groomed while they are at home, in school, and online. And so listen, the biggest obstacle to the enemies that who would do that to the children in our lives, the biggest obstacles to those who would want to sexualize and indoctrinate and kidnap our children, our parents, grandparents, and the church who are engaged and operating under a biblical worldview. We are the greatest obstacle for that evil. Amen? So get out there and fight that how God leads you to, and there's a lot of ways. Our church is just now exploring a partnership with Destiny Rescue on this. And I know that our church has done things with them in the past. Our own Paul Hostetter has served on international trips with them. We're going to have an open meeting on December 8th with them. And you'll hear more about that. You're welcome to join that. Finally, the prisoner. We have a jail ministry, a very fruitful one over the years. And maybe all of this has been said just to lead you to this moment. This is exciting stuff, what we're doing in the jail ministry uh, if you want to be a part of that, write that on your communication card, and, and Dave Goshert will let you know what they're doing right now that you can be a part of. We've educated ourselves today. God has spoken today. How will the Holy Spirit now bring you to be involved in this world? You'll be filled with joy as a result of following him in it. And Sarah, we've been putting off fostering and adopting every time we have a new baby, And we're done having new babies now. So how is God going to speak to us? (laughs) Let's close in prayer. Lord, hear our hearts. We want to return them to you. We've heard yours. Show us how we as a church and as individuals and families and, and this community can make a difference in the world, just as you would have us. And then we trust you and your sovereign control over everything else. 
We want to give you our hearts, and I love this song that we're about to sing. I pray that we'll meditate on its biblical truth and personal application and respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.